Wow, what a great morning. I love our students. I have the best job. I get, uh, my name is Jonathan, uh, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I have the privilege to work with these students on a weekly basis. I am one lucky guy, and I, I, love, I love our students. I want to start off sharing a story with you all. I'm a, this goes back 20 years. It's my freshman year at Baylor University, and uh, no giggums, please. Um, know your role. No. Um, it was the first time I was going to experience true independence because for the first time in my life, I didn't have my parents telling me when to be home or you should probably go to bed now because you have a test tomorrow or Jonathan, you should probably do your homework because grades are important or Jonathan, you should probably just do this and that. I was finally independent and I was loving it. In my independence, my parents weren't telling me and reminding me it's time for you to go to church either. I'm thankful that uh, the third, fourth week of school, I was actually going to a college service at Columbus Avenue Baptist, uh, and, and I remember vividly that service. We actually, like last week, we sang Shout to the Lord, and I was moved to tears just because of the way the song was speaking to my heart. I remember the speaker that night talking about, hey, if you want to live out your faith as a college student, this is what you do. I mean, I was so moved and reinvigorated that night, I went back to my dorm room and didn't do a single thing about it. Not for about 10 years. I share this story because I believe that is what has become of the average Christian life today. We go to church if our schedule isn't too busy. We learn biblical truth if we can focus all to just go home and not act upon it, and then, Lord willing, go back to church the following Sunday and go through the same motions. And, and I share this, today's message is not going to be a, an assault on church attendance and this and that, but what it is, I want it to be an encouragement of how we can live out the Word in the midst of trials and storms and temptations, because life is not easy. Everyone in this room is enduring some form of trial or difficulty right now. And in the book of James, he gives some specific things that you can do in order to find joy in your trials. And we're going to study that today in James 1, verses 19 through 27. So if you want to open your Bibles, we're just going to read that together. Well, not together. I will read it. Um, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before the God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, James reveals a lot of things about our Christian lives and what we are to do in the midst of trials and storms. And I want to give you the background right now for those that might not know, but uh, at that time, James is writing to the Jewish believers. They had scattered because of the intense persecution that was going on, a persecution to the point of death for many believers. 
And what he wanted to remind them is he wanted to encourage them to continue fighting the good fight, to persevere and live out their faith, even when it was difficult. But it wasn't going to be difficult. And so he wanted to give them some specific instructions, some things that he could do. And in this passage, he gives four points, four practices that not just the Christian believers could follow, but what we as believers today can follow in order to live out our faith. And the first is being quick to hear, to be a doer, to control the tongue, and to keep unstained. And we're going to dive into each section of this today. And when he talks about being quick to hear, that's the first section of passages that he, t- he writes in verses 19 to 21. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He gives these points. He says, know this, my beloved brothers. He's writing to his Christian friends, his Christian brothers and sisters. And when he says, know this, it is not a simple, hey, remember, folks. But what he's saying is, you've forgotten. In the midst of your storms, you've forgotten your purpose in life. So listen up. I'm going to tell you guys in love what you guys need to hear. And he says, be quick to hear. What is being quick to hear? Being quick to hear means literally listening. Listening with willingness and readiness. And we are to be quick to hear in two ways. The first way is for our own personal edification, for our own personal growth. But another way we can be quick to hear is also for others, to listen to others, to help others grow to become like Christ. And so when we are listening, we are being quick to hear for our own personal growth. What do we do? The first thing we listen to is the Word of God. What is the Word of God? It is the Word of God, the Scriptures. And how do we listen to it? The first thing you can do is you can read. You can read the Word of God. In it, you will find advice and instruction to every single problem or issue we deal with in regards to marriage, relationships, work, Worship, leisure, all the things you have questions about, you can find answers and solutions to in the Word. We read the Word. That's how we listen to it. We listen to biblical preaching. That's how you can also be quick to hear. Another way to be quick to hear is memorizing the Word. Passages that you need to speak and learn when you're in your trials. Things to help you refocus and think about the goodness of God. We are also quick to hear as we understand the Word and its teachings. But when we're quick to hear, it's not just listening to the word as well. It's listening to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for counsel when you are in the midst of a trial or a storm. It's listening to a believer, listening to someone who is trustworthy, someone that will give you counsel in a way that will reflect the truth of the word. In Proverbs 19.20, it tells us to listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. That's in Proverbs. Proverbs has a lot of wise sayings that we could all follow on a daily basis. But we also talk about being quick to hear in regards to relationships and edifying others. We can be quick to hear if we will just listen to other people as well. If we will listen to those who are in trials and storms and who need to vent and who need to talk and who need to process. We can't look at people as if they're annoying, as if they're inconvenient, because sometimes it is inconvenient to be quick to hear. Sometimes it interrupts your schedule, but that's okay. Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to encourage each other. We want to be quick to hear, to point them to biblical truth, even if they're annoying, even if the storm they're in is because of their own doing. We want to be quick to hear because it's the right thing to do, because we love. That's what Christians do. Simon Kistemaker, a German New Testament scholar, said this. He says, listening is the art of closing one's mouth and opening one's ear and heart. 
Listening is loving the neighbor as oneself. His concerns and problems are sufficiently important to be heard. Loving your neighbor. I love it. Listening, being quick to hear, isn't also about the quantity. Like, I've listened. I've been quick to hear 17 times. I've reached my quota. No, it's how many times will you be quick to hear? How many times will you listen? That's what he wants to write about. After being quick to hear, he now transitions into being slow to speak. He addresses the ears and now he addresses the mouth. When you are being slow to speak, what he wants you to remember is what words do we use when we're in a storm or when we're in a trial? Are they words that glorify God? Being slow to speak means that you're not going to engage in this bad talk. Words that don't build up. Words that have no meaning. He wants you to speak with wisdom. Don't dishonor God with your words. Don't deceive yourself. Don't ruin relationships with the words that you say. Don't use words that you'll have to apologize for later. But if you do use these words, make sure you apologize. Right? Being slow to speak means just shutting your mouth. Proverbs 10.8, The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. You see, too much talking interferes with hearing, listening. We like to talk, though. We're good at talking. As a husband, a father, and a pastor, I'm a professional talker. I am good at talking. I talk real good. Sometimes I need to just shut my mouth, though. All right? Sometimes I need to recognize that I don't have the answer, that I don't need to try to fix the situation. Sometimes I need to just sit down, zip my mouth, and listen to whoever's hurting, and just listen. I need to be quick to hear, and that goes for all of us. Be quick to hear. James puts these two points together because being quick to hear and slow to speak go hand in hand. They have to, like peas and carrots, peanut butter and jelly, kung and pow. You know, this is even, uh, people even in the secular world are aware of this. There's a philosopher named Zeno of Sidium, and he said this, the great talker is rarely a great listener, and never is the ear more firmly closed than when anger takes over. And so James transitions into be slow to anger. Being slow to anger is what causes you to not be quick to hear and not to be slow to speak. Anger is the root of the issue that he is dealing with. Proverbs 14, 17 says that a man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. He's saying don't react quickly when you are angry. He's saying take a chill pill. Step back, breathe. It's okay. Kent Hughes in his commentary on the book of James says that an angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. How true is that? We are to be slow to anger because it is the opposite of righteousness. He says that anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And what is this anger? He's talking about these rages of explosion, screaming, uh, using foulness, things that belittle people. This is not pleasing to God. This is the opposite of righteousness. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus even tells us that anger is the root of murder. Anger is a serious issue. And it's also an issue we all struggle and deal with in varying degrees. And so what do we do as we react to anger? Because anger in itself is not a bad thing. God gave that as an emotion to us when he created us. But the issue is how do you react 
in anger? How do you cope when you're angry? That is when it can either be righteous or unrighteous. Another example, you're going to be hearing a lot about my college stories because a lot of glory was there. I used to have road rage. Terrible road rage. So mad that like, I remember one time at the HEB, which is no longer there, uh, a, a young girl cut me off and I remember getting so mad, getting out of my car, starting to scream at her and calling her an idiot and what are you doing? Do you not see me driving here? Not because I wanted to like, hey, you missed I wanted her to feel bad. I wanted her to see that I was angry. I wanted revenge. That is not a righteous anger. Do not do that very thing. Unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger is the opposite of the righteousness of God. And so when you are reacting in a bad way, you are doing the very thing God wants you to not do. God's righteousness, his holiness, his perfection his beauty, his wonder, all his attributes that we worship cannot be associated with an unrighteous anger. And so, how do we do this? How do we be quick to hear? How do we be slow to speak? How do we be slow to anger? Well, James is like in verse 21, I'm going to give you what to do. And he says to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So to be slow to anger, you need to get rid of filthiness. And what he's talking about right here in filthiness, he's talking about the habits that we have. We must remove the garment. We must remove them as if they are a garment. Take it off. That's the filthiness. The Greek word used in this is actually sordidness, which literally means to something that is disgustingly smelly or dirty. You know, Harvey came and wrecked Houston a year and a couple months ago. And uh, there were a lot of people out in the city doing work, working in houses that were still nasty and wet and flooded. I remember we had people in Bear Creek that were walking through water filled with feces and working to try to help houses out. And at the end of the day, their socks and shoes were disgusting and they wanted to take them off as quickly as they could because they didn't want that on their body. That is what we need to do with filthiness. We need to get it off as quickly and as fast as possible as we can. But not just filthiness. Let me, oh, I'll even, you know, I like to use scripture. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And Paul also writes in Romans 13.12, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Get rid of that filthiness. And not just filthiness, rampant wickedness as well. Rampant wickedness, that is the opposite of virtue. It's the evil actions that we do. So you have your filthiness, which are your habits, and now you have your actions, which are the wickedness. The Greek used right here signifies an abundance of evil. And so what I want you to imagine is the imagery of, of a beautiful rose garden that is overrun by weeds. That's what happens to the beauty when it is overrun with wickedness. So how do we do that? How do we get? We have to be meek with the implanted word of God which is in us. Meekness. It, is, uh, it means to humbly receive the implanted word, to receive in humility. The actual Greek illustration given to that is called strength in submission. But we don't like the word submit in today's day and age. We think submitting means weakness. But it doesn't. Submitting to God is obedience. Submitting to God is beauty. Submitting to God is putting off filthiness and rampant wickedness. 
the implanted word. I love this word because it is, it's the gospel. It's the word that saves your soul. It is believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the belief in that tells you that one day when you no longer live on this earth, you will be in glory if you believe in that alone. And when you believe in that, the Holy Spirit enters you. The Holy Spirit gives you discernment in everything you do. And so if you have the Holy Spirit, you can say no to filthiness and no to wickedness. It's the hope of future glory. Take it off. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. And so we let the implanted word lead and guide us in our daily steps, even in trials and temptations and difficulty. So that's the first step. James says, be quick to hear. The second step in in dealing with trials and temptation is be a doer of the word in verses 22 to 25, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He addresses two types of people in this section. You have doers and hearers, and so I want to define them for you. What is a doer of the word? A doer of the word is someone who actively listens to God's word with conviction and obedience. It is someone who does the word, is someone who will go out and evangelize and share the gospel. Someone that will work with people who are new in the faith to make them disciples. A doer of the word is being involved in the local church, being in community with other fellowship with believers and believers. That's what being a doer of the word, it's an active word. And so what is a hearer of the word? A hearer of the word is someone who knows and understands the word but doesn't act upon it. Someone who just goes through the motions. Someone who thinks that knowing is enough. When I was a student at DTS, graduated a year ago, thankfully, so glad that I'm done. Yeah, woo, my wife said that the loudest. (laughs) Well, when I was a student in class, you would have students who were there to get their degree, but you would also have people that were auditing the class. And these people that would audit the class, they just had to show up. They didn't have to take notes. They didn't have to do the readings. They didn't have to do the assignments, take the tests or the finals. They were able to just show up, and then when class was dismissed, they could go home and do whatever. I had class on Saturday, so I guess they could go home and watch football. Right? But for me, as a student, a doer of seminary, I had to do the readings. I had to take my finals. I had to take my tests. I had to do all of my assignments in order for me to receive credit in order to graduate. So on Saturdays, I would go home and have to read or prep for work here. And so I think what is a very scary situation is in today's day and age, we have many auditors of the faith. Many auditors of the faith. James says that hearers only, they deceive themselves. They think that because they go to church or because they hear the word of God or if they go to Bible study, yet their lives remain unchanged from the word of truth. The implanted word that is in them, they're not letting that lead. And that is what a hearer only does. He wants them to understand that a real, authentic faith has action along with understanding. He then uses this analogy of someone who looks in the mirror and then forgets their face. Kind of a weird analogy. Unless you understand the context. See, back in the first century, 
they, when they look in the mirror, the mirrors aren't like what we have today. It wasn't something where you could see a crystal clear reflection of exactly how you look. Mirrors were literally polished pieces of metal that you would look in to see. So when you were getting ready for work or for worship and you had to shave your face or pluck your eyebrows or ladies doing whatever you do to beautify your faces, even though you're beautiful as is, you had to look intently into this piece of metal because you, if you didn't, you might miss something. You might only shave half your face or you might forget to pluck two eyebrow hairs from your unibrow. You, I have a unibrow. I know what that does. But... But you're looking intently. You are scrutinizing the appearance. So you know your face well. And what he's saying is the minute you look away from the mirror, you've forgotten what your face looks like. That's kind of a ridiculous statement, even to the point of being ludicrous. But what James is saying is that if you are a hearer of the word and you don't act upon it, then you are forgetting your responsibility. It is ludicrous for someone who professes to love and follow Christ to not act it out in action. That's what he's writing right here, and he wants them to understand that. When he talks about forgetting your look, how you look, he, he's, not, he's not just addressing someone that literally forgets. It's not, we're not talking about memory issues. We're talking about forgetting your priorities. What is your priority? Because it's easy to forget when you think about all the other things you have going on in life, especially when you have your own goals and aspirations that you want to achieve. Whether it be climbing the corporate ladder, maybe it's attaining a 4.0 GPA, maybe it's just having a great following on social media, I don't know, but all of these things that take priority of living out the word are distractions and cause you to forget what you look like. They cause you to forget what you have heard and learned. Also, being a hearer is someone who says they're willing. And what do I mean by that? Someone who says they're willing means they have good intentions. But if you don't act upon it, it doesn't mean anything. And so, we don't want to just be willing. We can just do it. Don't be willing to help the needy. Help the needy. Don't be willing to live out your faith. Live out your faith. Don't be willing to obey God. Just, yes, I had no idea how that was going to work. Thank you for responding. That would have been awkward. <laughs> I would just be like, oh my God. Yes. Amen. But yes, don't just be willing. Do it. Do something. Don't be willing to just obey the word. Obey the word. Be a doer. Put into practice what you know and have learned from the word. And what do you put into practice? He's talking about the law of freedom, the law of liberty. It is the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the greatest commandment, which is to love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor. If you are living this out daily, you are being a doer of the word. Being a doer of the word gives you the right attitude in life, too. Even when you are struggling with things that are difficult, things that are frustrating, and things that just don't make you happy, having the right attitude helps you persevere through that. Being a doer helps you persevere. And the Greek word that James uses for persevere literally means it's an emphasis on continuing to be grounded or standing fast in something no matter the circumstances. See, he wanted them to remember to persevere because they were literally having to persevere as they were running for their lives because they loved Jesus. And why? Because at the very end of that verse, you will be blessed. What does blessed mean? It means that if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, as it's given in John 13, 17. It means being genuinely joyful. You will be blessed if you are a doer 
of the word. And so in this section of being a, being a doer of the word, he covers three points. The first is this. The one who only hears the word deceives themselves. Emphasis on only. Only. The next one. The one who only hears the word forgets what they heard. And the last point. The one who hears and does the word will be blessed. So we should be doers. And so if you look on this next slide, I have a picture of a scale. Why would Chang have a picture of a scale in the middle of a sermon on being a doer of the word? Well, we need to take a look at our spiritual lives. You see, a hearer of the word is someone who comes and consumes and consumes and consumes. They know the Greek. They know the Hebrew. They know the Aramaic. They know the Klingon of the text. They know all theology. I have everything memorized from Schaefer to Grudem. I know all my theology. I listen to 84 podcasts a week by different pastors. But if you don't act upon it, you are a hearer. But then you have someone that's just a doer. Someone that only does and does and does. I go and serve in this aspect. I go feed the needy here. I bring mattresses to the homeless. I do and I do and I do, but I never get refilled by the word. That's not good either. And so you have this scale which can tell you that you are either spiritually obese and sick or you are spiritually anorexic and sick. You see, it is important to be a hearer. If you're not a hearer of the word, you won't know what to do. But being a hearer is not enough. You have to be a doer. You have to do both. I don't understand why we are so polarizing and are either on this side or this side. Just be in the middle. Do both. And that's what James is saying. Be a doer and a hearer. He then, he then goes into his third point. How do you deal with trials and temptations? Well, you've got to control your tongue. In verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James uses the word religion because it literally means a participation in the worship of a well-defined religious community or organization. Why would he say religion? Because that's what the Jews had. You see, the Jews were excellent at giving alms and giving prayers and fasting and memorizing the Torah. And, and, and they had all these awesome outward actions slash performances. But he's wanting them to remember that doesn't demonstrate true spirituality. What does? Your tongue. The words you use. He states specifically that if you bridle your tongue, that is a better demonstration of spirituality than all of the acts that you do. Because it's easy to go and do these things and go away and gossip or slander or do other things that we're all great at. So when it comes to your tongue, what are the words that you say? How do they look and sound? How do they affect those around you? Can people tell you're a follower of Christ if they listen to what you say? I know myself have been very guilty of they wouldn't be able to tell at times in my life. We all struggle with words. Every single professing follower of Christ will struggle with words. That's the reality. So instead of using words, so if, we, if we are slow to speak, we can control our words better. And so instead of using words that, uh, that tear down, that are worthless, idle, empty, and useless, let us use words that build up, words that encourage, words that love, words that point to truth, 
Words that focus on truth. Let the word of God, let the gospel of Christ, let that be the words that comes out of our mouths. Even when you are struggling. Guess what? It's Thanksgiving week. Everyone here is probably going to be interacting with some annoying family, family member at some point this week. Whether it be the sports team they follow, the politics they like to talk, or they're just flat out annoying. I hope I'm not that one. Now that I say that, I wonder if I am that one. <laughs> I haven't been invited to Thanksgiving in 10 years. No. Um, but you're going to be interacting with people that will get on your nerves. Be slow to speak. Control your tongue. That is a sign of true spirituality. When people can see the words that you use, that will, that will, that will leave a, an image better than any of your performances ever could. The last point of how to deal with life in trials and temptation is keeping unstained from the world. And how do you do that? Well, James says in verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. True religion is helping the helpless. Widows and orphans. Why would James use these two specific groups of people? Because... Back in those days, if a wife's husband died, there were no jobs that she could go get and work out to support herself. There was no government welfare program at the time. There was no social services to help orphans find homes. The only way the needs would be met of widows and orphans is if the local church would rise and be doers of the word. That is true religion. That is true spirituality. And why? Because back in that day, there wasn't social media to go around and show everyone the good things they were doing with the widows and orphans. If you would go and work with the widows and orphans, you would do it in silence. No one would know but God. And so your motivations were pure when you were working with the widows and orphans because you did it because you loved them. Because you loved. And so who are the marginalized today that we need to serve and help? Widows and orphans still, they have great needs. Widows and orphans are important are important to God. But not just them. Refugees, we have people coming into our country who are fleeing persecution just like the Jews were at the time. We can welcome them. We can love them. People with special needs. People with mental illness. The homeless. All sorts of demographics. Everyone can be served and loved with the law of Christ. Everyone can be, we can be doers of the word and helping these people out. He doesn't stop there, though. He says, keep unstained from the world. What is the world? It is, it is the, the system of the world that it is. it is. It is status is king. Stuff matters. Materialism wins. Comfort is a must that, that we use people for our own personal gain. This is not the world system that we follow. The law of Christ is opposite of that. But I love, this is something I think we haven't thought about. I never thought about this being unstained from the world means you do, as a believer, have to be in the world, right? It's easy to sit at home in your bubble and say, I'm not going to be unstained from the world. I'm obeying the word. Guess what? You're just a hearer then. You're back at point A or point B. And so you need to be out in the world. But when you are in ministry, keep following the commandments of God. Keep focusing on his holiness. Make sure you stay in that position, do not let the world influence you and your decision-making. That is how you 
keep unstained from the world. So what does this mean for us today at Cypress Bible Church on November 18th of 2018? Well, I'm encouraged because everyone that is in here is a hearer of the word. So be encouraged. This, again, this is not a guilt lesson. This is not anyone dogging anyone. This is just a point of truth of what we need to be as believers. But within being a hearer of the words, we do have two people that are in this church, in every church. You have hearers that do, and you have hearers that don't. That's the reality uh, of the world in which we live today. And so what we all need to do as followers of Jesus Christ is recognize and really examine your hearts, which category do you fall in? Right? Because guess what? If you're not a doer today, you can start being a doer today. That's the great thing about grace. You don't just have to stay in your position forever. And so if you want to be a doer of the word, if you want to take what you learn and go tell people, you can do that starting today. Because an authentic faith, what James wants his readers, what he wants us to understand, that an authentic faith is an active faith. And so being a doer of the word, sometimes it might be hard. Well, I, I'm, I'm willing to go, but I just kind of need some help. Well, we want to help you with that here. And so starting in December, we're beginning this initiative, if that's the right word to use, called Second Saturday. And this is where we are going to be the hands and feet and mouth of Christ, where we will go into different parts of the city and we will serve people, we will evangelize people, we will love people like the law of Christ. And so uh, I hope you guys will see in December. Come and sign up and let's go serve. Let's go make a great noise for the name of Jesus in Houston, Texas. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your unending mercy, grace upon grace, Lord. I know myself have failed and will fail again, Lord. I thank you. I thank you so much for your grace. Father, may we not be just hearers of the word only. May we leave today changed. May your truth change us to be doers of your word. Father, let us leave this church building today and go in and reflect your goodness and your greatness to everyone we encounter. Father, may we be burdened. May our heart breaks for what breaks yours. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the reconciliation that he brings with his death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you for the future hope of glory, what we can hold on to in the midst of our trials and storms. May we always remember your goodness. May we always be willing to be meek and submit. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.